Good afternoon and welcome to the City View podcast from City AM. I'm Andy Sylvester, live from the City AM newsroom on another grim Tuesday in the city. Signs of life, however, after the sort of stealth lockdown, there was even a queue outside Earl's Sandwich Shop at lunchtime. Perhaps things really are kicking off. In a minute, I'll be joined by Michael Houston at CMC Markets and Susanna Streeter at Hargreaves Lansdowne, two voices you'll no doubt know well. They'll pick over with me an extraordinary day on Wall Street yesterday, as well as looking ahead to inflation, interest rate rises, the rest of the year. Sure to be a cracking listen. But first, the headlines today, and I'm afraid it's bad news for Heathrow. New figures out this morning revealing that 2021 contrived to be an even worse year in terms of passenger numbers than 2020. The seesaw of restrictions hit travel all year, but the emergence of our new friend, the Omicron variant in December, led to a whopping 600,000 flight cancellations in that month alone. Unsurprisingly, the airport is today warning that continued restrictions in 2022 will hold back aviation's recovery. Easy, of course, to think of aviation in isolation, but the knock-on effect, whether it's job worries in Crawley or Hounslow, or the output of catering firms that serve up such delicious fare on airlines, is significant. West End hoteliers would no doubt agree of the implications of those restrictions. Elsewhere, Lidl enjoyed a Christmas boost, helped by Christmas jumper sales of all things. Supermarkets enjoyed a bumper Christmas, not least thanks to the voluntary self-isolation of many Brits in order to keep Christmas relatively safe from COVID-19. Games Workshop also shared good news, as did the very group. Recruiter Robert Walters also delivered a healthy market update this morning, suggesting hiring was still strong in Q4 despite those very same variant fears. No reason to think that will reverse in the new year. Now, that's pretty much it from me today, and I'll hand over now to the marvellous Michael Hewson, Chief Markets Analyst at CMC Markets, and the sensational Susanna Streeter, former journalist and now Senior Investment and Markets Analyst at Hargreaves Lansdowne. Susanna and Michael, thanks to you both for joining us. Susanna, we'll start with you. I'll let you in on a secret. Yesterday, until about 9.15pm, our front page was taper tantrum, and we'd put the Wall Street bull... We'd washed him in red, so it was a very <laughs> threatening front page as NASDAQ collapsed most of the day, which was only slightly ruined by the fact that then there was a gigantic shift and rally late on in trading in Wall Street yesterday, um, completely ruining the front page and causing us to re- redo the entire thing in about half an hour before we went to print. Do you think that's the sort of volatility we're going to expect for the rest of the year? I certainly think so. All of that volatility in one day. Uh, yes, all those headlines about a taper uh, tantrum. Monday madness uh, leading into Tuesday turbulence had to be ripped up. But certainly I do think there is going to be this real push and pull between real worries about just how high inflation will go and what central banks will do to curb it. And that is why you saw tech on that roller coaster ride, tech stocks on that roller coaster ride yesterday after um, that prediction that there could be four uh, rate rises from the US Federal Reserve in 2022. Certainly, uh, the markets had already factored in a much earlier rate rise, but uh, with being hit by all of these different perspectives, that's what caused uh, this kind of latest turbulence. And then again, uh, more a, a calmer end to the trading session. And then on Tuesday, uh, we saw stocks really recover again. I do think because we just don't know what will happen to inflation just yet, there are so many different readings. 
not least the fact that some of the supply chain issues are easing, but then added to that, you get other data showing that actually wages and starting salaries are still soaring. And that could mean inflation is going to be a lot less transitory. Mm. So I do think we are in for a volatile few months ahead. Yeah. And Michael, we, I mean, a lot of yesterday's excitement was, at least in the wider narrative, from here, triggered by a Goldman Sachs note talking about the potential of four rate rises. We've got former Fed Governor William Dudley um, talking about the possibility of there being as many as five rate rises this year. How spooky is that for Wall Street? And then I guess how, how much of that will, will filter over here? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's really the big unknown. And I think when you think about where we were, say, for example, two or three months ago, when the prospect of even two rate rises this year was greeted with widespread alarm. And now here we are, you know, talking fairly calmly about <laughs> the prospect of four, and yet the NASDAQ is only marginally lower than it was, um, say, for example, um, when it hit highs in December, it suggests that even the markets really don't know how this year is going to play out. But I think if you look at it on a slightly longer term basis, I am concerned particularly about what US markets are doing, simply because of the fact that the NASDAQ is only where it is, is because a quarter of the S&P 500 um, is Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet, um, the big caps, mm. they make up around about $10 trillion of the $40 trillion of the S&P 500. And they're also a decent chunk of the NASDAQ. So if they start to roll over, then it could get very, very interesting indeed. And certainly I'm pricing in the prospect of a Fed rate rise in March. And potentially the Bank of England is likely to have to follow suit. Look at the numbers. US CPI is its highest level since 1982 when Ronald Reagan was president. I remember that. I'm not sure you or Susanna do, but um, that's quite an eye-watering number. You know, and Susanna talked about um, people are asking for higher wages. Obviously, there's also the, the effect of higher cost of living, mm. and particularly here in the UK, where you've got those tax rises due to kick in in April, something has to give. Now, the big question is whether or not the markets will allow central banks to be able to raise rates three or four times this year. And what potential for those rate rises could have on wider assets like the housing market? Although I do also think that um, if the Federal Reserve and central banks are seen to misstep at this point and not raise rates fast enough, actually, to try and put a lid on inflation, there could all equally be uh, an adverse reaction in terms of the financial market. So you can mm. see such a tricky, you can see the extent to which central bank policymakers are walking on a really uh, tricky tightrope right now. They have this to do enough. This is tightrope of their own making, unfortunately. They have to do enough, but not too yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And this and this is, this is the issue. I think the Fed's been late to the party, unfortunately. I think the fact they are still expanding their balance sheet and they're only going to be stopping in March and then they're going to be raising rates potentially in March and then June. The market's probably freaking out more 
about how quickly they start to reduce the size of their balance sheets more than the actual rate rises themselves, which essentially do need to happen. Let's look at you know where we were in February 2020. The UK base rate was at 0.75%. It's now at 0.25%. Now, and I can argue potentially that the UK economy can absorb um, interest rate rises back to the levels they were in February 2020. I think the bigger question is whether or not the US economy can withstand the Fed funds rate going from 0 to 0.25% back to 1.5 to 1.75%, which is where it was before this pandemic um, mm. broke over the global economy. I think that for me is the bigger question, not so much about what the Bank of England can and can't do, what the European Central Bank can and can't do. It's how many US rate rises can um, uh, the US economy and more importantly, the US stock market absorb. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see, as you say, Michael, what happens with um, housing stocks, for example, mm. because there is this expectation that if we see uh, multiple rate rises, that could put a dampener on this red hot housing market that we're seeing. But again, you know, if rates rise to 1%, that is still low on a historic basis when uh, people in, in the last uh, few decades were used to at times even double digit um, rates of uh, interest. So actually, um, that 1% is not necessarily likely to put real skids or, or real breaks on onto the housing market. Because again, the other issue is that we still don't know how the world of work is going to shake down. And um, if people don't return to the office in greater numbers, this race for space is likely to continue. And I think uh, what we should be looking at is perhaps, um, you know, what would be happening in terms of um, the commercial uh, property market compared to uh, the residential market. Mm. And that would be really interesting to watch, particularly um, in the United States as well, with the, all the tax breaks are still on offer in terms of property um, investment. So I think um, that I'll be really interested to see how this plays out on the housing market. And I don't necessarily think that we're going to see this kind of immediate cooling off. That one caveat, the one caveat though, um, Susanna, I would add to that is leverage. Um, it really mm -hmm. depends on the loan to value in terms of the mortgages that these first time buyers particularly um, have taken out to try and get themselves onto the property, la property ladder. Um, you know, how much of a rise in interest rates, if they're not on a fixed rate mortgage, can they absorb? But still, you could, yeah, you compare it to rents, though, and yeah. uh, rents are sky high with so much uh, property being taken out of the residential letting market. It's still, even if you saw an increase in, in, in rates um, and you weren't in a fixed uh, mortgage, it's still cheaper to buy if you can yeah. raise, as you say, if you can raise uh, the equity to do so and raise the deposit. Um, so I still think there's a, there's a way to go in terms of the housing market, at least. As you mentioned, it's a tightrope. And Michael, it's on that tightrope. I just want to ask you one more question. Susanna, I'm going to, going to pester you on Heathrow in just a minute after your comments <laughs> earlier. But Michael, one last question. It's something related to something Susanna just spoke about earlier about this tightrope. How important is it that the Bank of England and those at the top of the Bank of England in particular are perhaps a bit more careful with their language this year um, and that markets can start to trust their their utterances rather than waiting for MPC decisions? Because at the end of last year, I think it's fair to say we were all a tad wrong-footed. Just a bit. I mean, I'd, I think, you know, from previous commentary that I've um, made that I'm not a big fan of the Bank of England's forward guidance policy and, 
you know, what I would say with respect to the Fed for all the criticism that you can level at them, at least they don't tend to spring surprises on the markets. And forward guidance is very, very important guidance. You know, it's a very, very important policy tool. And it's something that um, with, the new with the new governor, I hoped would change. Um, unfortunately, thus far, it seems Andrew Bailey doesn't really care too much about what the market does or doesn't think. And that, for me, I think is a little bit, of, it's a little bit naive on his part because central banks can do so much in terms of policy just by what they say mm. and less by what they do. Um, and it's something that the Bank of England really does need to work on. And I would hope that the mistakes of the last couple of months, we got there in the end, um, but really, did we really need to have the the dialogue on the back and forth at the various press conference where, where we were talking more about the forward guidance than we were the actual policy? Mm. And I think that's where the Bank of England really does need to improve, not basically setting themselves a hostage fortune and then walking us all the way back down again, but at least tempering expectations so that we don't get the sort of volatility in guilt markets and the, and the uncertainty. And that ultimately, the Bank of England becomes a credible um, player in the central bank space because over the past five or six years, their guidance has been woeful. Mm. Yeah. A New Year's resolution, I think, for those at Threadneedle Street. Susanna, this time last year, I'm sure it was a New Year's resolution a few stops down the Piccadilly line um, at Heathrow to get more people on planes. But just before we finish, it wasn't good news out of uh, out of London's, Britain's really sole hub airport, was it? It certainly wasn't. I mean, Omicron really was the Scrooge which cancelled Christmas because uh, that data from Heathrow Airport showed that 600,000 passengers cancelled their travel plans through the airport in December alone. And yes, I mean, this time last year, there was real hope that those mass vaccination programmes would uh, bring a rebound in travel. But we had this web of rules and regulations which were spun across different countries and regions, swept away and then spun again as those new uh, variants emerged. And it was this threat of expensive hotel quarantine and the risk of being left stranded overseas that I really think has put a dampener on bookings rather than the fear of the virus itself. So uh, no surprise that Heathrow is calling for all testing requirements to be scrapped for fully vaccinated passengers. They say it's so widespread now, it's pretty pointless. And it really does uh, mean that these holidays are more expensive. Even the cheaper lateral flow tests uh, mm. do add to a cost of a holiday. So we're looking at a long haul recovery still. I mean, there were high hopes that there would be this uh, bounce back already, but uh, we're in it for the long haul. And it's not actually just, um, you know, airlines and um, uh, the likes of Rolls-Royce, highly dependent on commercial air travel um, that fell uh, as a result of what uh, Heathrow uh, said. Um, but also it's all of the other companies so reliant on transport hubs, the likes of SSP, you know, the catering mm. uh, company with all of those outlets. So it's a knock-on effect for so many different sectors. So it just looks like the recovery is going to take that much longer. And politically, it looks like compared to 2020 and 2021, at least, business is probably going to be out on its own for this year through the recovery. Michael, Susanna, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great to be on the podcast again. 
And that was Michael Houston from CMC Markets. He's Anna Streeter from Hargreaves Lansdowne. Always a pleasure to hear from them. Sorry if there are any tech wobbles. I'm sure you got the gist. That's all from us now on the City View podcast. We'll see you again tomorrow. Thanks.